We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Wednesday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, Daniel Horowitz will take us inside politics, courtesy of Conservative Review, as he does each and every Wednesday night. Also, it is a Wednesday night. That means we've got some Worldview Wednesday coming up in the third and final hour, and much, much more. Stay tuned for that. Aaron, again, is still on his Harry Potter Hodge. He is gone this week. Uh, Kim is here uh, tonight filling in for him. Kim and Todd, I, I want to treat you guys to begin our show this evening as my ad hoc focus group. All right? So... Pretend I am Frank Luntz at Fox and you are, or and CBS, and you are the focus group. All right? I'm focused. Okay. Are you focused? Ready. And in a group setting, and are you focused? Yes? yes. Good. All right. I want to share with you, I'm not adding any editorial comment. In fact, I'm going to do this with Daniel Horowitz when he comes on here in about 15, 20 minutes. I'm going to do this with him too. No setup. I didn't tell you guys up front tonight I was going to do this, did I? No, no Frank, so, you didn't. 
So, I mean, I am catching you off guard. This is not a setup. I've not, we've not even discussed this yet about our own personal thoughts on this, right? On purpose. Because I just want a visceral, instant reaction to what I'm going to share with you. What I'm going to share with you is a timeline of recent events that transpired between approximately 6 p.m. Eastern last night and 10 a.m. Eastern this morning, which would be about, what, 16 hours, right? Event number one. Jake Tapper of CNN, one of the uh, best conscientious and professional mainstream journalists we still have. He releases an exclusive that intelligent officials briefed Donald Trump on Russian attempts to both influence him as well as the 2016 election last Friday. Included in the report is an accusation that members of Trump's own campaign apparatus actually colluded with the Russians to influence the election, too. However, the actual dossiers themselves are not released and are not the focus of the Tapper report, merely that this is what intelligence officials were briefing Donald Trump on, the president-elect, last Friday. Event number two, given the gravity of these charges and the credibility of the journalist releasing said report. Tongues in Washington begin, in, in, in our little corner of the universe, begin wagging immediately. Even our snarky conservative friend, Ala Pundit, tweets out, quote, I'm really looking forward to the Pence presidency, to be honest, unquote. I was talking to a little birdie of mine last night and he, who, who called me about this and wanted to game plan out how the left would use this. How they, could they even carry forth impeachment or fake impeachment uh, You know, after he takes office? Because if, 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 even if it didn't go anywhere, that's one heck of a leftist fundraising apparatus, right? This would be sort of their uh, natural-born citizen conspiracy at worst, right? I mean, this is a good way to fire up your base, which is pretty demoralized right now. And so we were game planning out with how it could that affect the ability for Trump to honor his pledge to put a real conservative justice on the Supreme Court in, in place of Scalia, repeal Obamacare. In other words, how would the political dynamic be affected by the seriousness of these charges going forward and Democrats attempting to play them up, obviously? And then we got to event number three, which took place shortly after I got off the phone for this call last night. BuzzFeed, which is an online version of TMZ for politics. And we last heard of BuzzFeed about a month ago when they tried to secular jihad ship in Joanna Gaines off the air. And, and they, got, uh, they, they got slapped down like a rented mule. And we haven't really heard from them ever since. They released, they, they released what they claimed were the actual dossiers, the actual intelligence dossiers themselves. Most of them coming from a former British intelligence officer, and they're all uncorroborated. In fact, several journalists publicly disclosed that they were approached with this story before the election but didn't pursue it because its details could not be verified. They include references to the Russians attempting to get Trump to make questionable investments with them, which would give them leverage over him. See, that as blackmail. As well as the Russians monitoring Trump's alleged perverted sexual antics while in their country, including his alleged affinity for female urination. I mean, this is, this is stuff, uh, this is like out of a, a movie script, what's in these dossiers, but it's all uncorroborated. Following BuzzFeed's so-called report, for lack of a better term, the social media mill kicks into high gear. This is event number four now. Golden showers and water sports begins trending in relation to our incoming president on social media. The same guy who taught us the phrase, grab them by the you-know-what. Thus, any serious discussion of the potential explosiveness of these allegations effectively ceases. BuzzFeed has essentially undermined Tapper's original reporting, and it's all just fake news now. 
Event number five, Trump takes to Twitter to defend himself against these outlandish accusations, which in and of itself, let's face it, is ironic since Trump has often used Twitter to lobby baseless and outlandish accusations against his own opponents, like when he claimed the notorious tabloid, the National Enquirer, deserved a Pulitzer for alleging Ted Cruz's dad killed Kennedy. Six, anti-Trump zealots, meaning these are, when I say zealots, people that oppose Trump for reasons other than just they have clear-minded ideological differences, but they're just their own progressive cult, immediately begin defending the credibility of this completely uncorroborated report, while Trump uses Russia denying the story as his defense. He literally tweets out, hey, Russia denied this, because, you know, there's no history of the Russians ever lying to us or anything. Event number seven this morning. Talk about your bad timing award. While all of this is going on, the same Obama regime that has been decrying the anti-American anarchists at WikiLeaks and their attempts to embarrass Hillary Clinton and their political party in the last election is now reportedly considering a presidential pardon for Bradley Manning, one of WikiLeaks' chief provocateurs who underwent a taxpayer-funded sex change operation while in prison. Event number eight, the rest of America began wondering at 10 a.m. Eastern if it was too early to start drinking. This was an actual timeline of events that took place between approximately 6 p.m. Eastern last night and 10 a.m. Eastern this morning. I'm adding no further editorial comment. I just want to know your instant reaction to this. Ladies first, Kim. You know, as you were going through the list, I kept thinking, no, there's there more? And you know, like four, five, six. Wait, Sham, wow, there's wow, more. there's more. Um, this is exactly what, if you were paying attention during the election, this type of thing is exactly what you would expect. Um, think, You know, we don't even know if there's anything in there that's actually true or not. Now it's painted as fake news. Will we ever know? I don't know. But it's distracting and embarrassing. This is the time to remind everyone, I think, that we were all never Trump. And we need something more than that, I think, going forward. T-shirts, hashtag, never all of it. Uh, it Because if this is every week, Steve, chaos. I mean, the country is gone. The country will, in fact, be a reality show. And, and my, my favorite tweet about this, it summed it, it summed it up. It was snarky. I can't remember who did it. said, but if they actually have hotel video of this so-called uh, urination fetish, my, the best guess was Trump would get a four-point bump. Oh and goodness. I don't even think that's too far outside of the margins. I mean, think about how low of a turnout we had anyway in the last election. How much more of this is going to cause more people just to tap out? I don't know. Does it? I don't want to become what we are decrying, which is why I've done this a lot since I got back from vacation, and I'm going to be doing this a lot for the foreseeable future on this show. Asking the devil's advocate question, even if I don't think it's true, just so we will at least consider it, okay? In this case, though, I think it might be true. Should we consider we're wrong? Should we consider we are the minority? Should we consider this is really what America is now? And that's just the reality of the situation. No, I I think that's what I mean. I think it is what it is, but it can't work. It's no longer 
a constitutional republic in anything but, you know, a museum sense. And is it or is it premature to ask that question? And it just came down to a lot of Americans. I'm not even going to try and reason with Trump cult. Right. It's like reasoning with a Jehovah's Witness when it comes to your door. OK, I mean, you, you, you point out that the founder of their Watchtower Society was a total scam artist, fraud and documented form. They blink three times and be and the, and the spiel begins all over again. You thank them for their time. You go back to mowing your lawn. All right. So, yeah, that's what happens when people get in cults. I'm talking about the rest of America that voted for this. I still think most of them just did so because they, we, we can't af- couldn't afford a third term of Obama, guys. We, we could not afford another four years of, look, now well, we used to have more people on food stamps than the population of Spain. Now it's the population of the United Kingdom. We got more people then, right? And, and, but you do wonder, when does their patience level with this wear out? And the fact we're asking this before we even take the oath of office. So I think that is one of the underreported stories here, that yes, the left has made all the wrong moves pretty much since this election, but you're still dealing with a guy who's hugely unpopular and is on a very short leash if he doesn't deliver results. These kinds of distractions will really grate on people. You're listening to Steve Dace. Knowledge is power. I've seen what it can do, and I want to learn more. Gain more knowledge right here. It's the Steve Day Show. Oh, this this is not a white wedding. This dynamic between Trump and the media we will be subjected to the next four years is more like a red wedding, uh, if you know what I'm saying. Daniel Horowitz is here with us from Conservative Review to take us inside politics. And uh, it's good to have you back this evening, my friend. How are you? I'm doing all right. I just feel like I was waterboarded after watching these hearings all week. We're going to get to those hearings, but I've got to get your take on what I opened the show with tonight. This is is a timeline of events that transpired between about 6 o'clock last evening and oh, six o'clock Eastern uh, last evening and 10 o'clock or 10 a.m. Eastern this morning. All right. Jake Tapper of CNN, considered one of the more conscientious, professional, mainstream media journalists we have, releases an exclusive that intelligence officials briefed Trump last Friday on Russian attempts to influence him as well as the 2016 election including in that report that members of his own campaign may have colluded with the Russians in order to influence this election and embarrass Hillary Clinton. Now, the actual dossiers themselves are not released in the Tapper report because that's not what his report's really about. It's about the fact that they briefed Donald Trump on this. So given the gravity of the charges, the credibility of the journalist involved, tongues begin to wag. Our buddy over at, uh, uh, at, at, at their snarky conservative uh, Allah pundit even tweets out, quote, I'm really looking forward to the Pence presidency, to be honest. <laughs> All right. So this is what people start thinking for about 90 minutes as Dave Weigel, the Washington Post put out there. Oh, great. Tw- Trump is done. Twitter has returned. Right. That's that's what, what that was the reaction. 
And then we have BuzzFeed, which is basically an online version of TMZ for politics. Uh, and we last heard from them when they tried to secular jihad chip in Joanna Gaines last month and got and got uh, beaten like redheaded stepchildren uh, back into their spider hole when they tried that. They decide to come forward with the actual dossiers themselves, all of which are uncorroborated, allegedly from some British intelligence officer. That includes reports of Russian attempts to get Trump to invest in shady deals in order to have influence and leverage with him. Their monitoring of his sexual peccadilloes, which includes an affinity for female water sports. All of this is in there. And once that comes out, any credibility or seriousness of Tapper's original story is totally undermined. The social media mill takes hold. Golden showers, water sports start trending on Twitter in relation to the same presidential candidate that gave us the famous line, grab them by the you-know-what. And now this is now this is all fake news, and, and nobody really knows what the truth is, and frankly, no longer cares. Trump takes to Twitter to defend himself against these outlandish accusations. Ironic, considering this is the guy that got elected by uh, throwing out lots of outlandish accusations, like the National Enquirer deserves a Pulitzer for breaking the scoop that Ted Cruz's dad, Raphael, killed Kennedy. Anti-Trump zealots immediately begin defending the credibility of a completely uncorroborated report. While Trump also uses Russia denying the story as his defense, as if Russia's never lied to us ever, yo. This morning, the same Obama regime, which has spent the past month decrying the anti-American anarchist at WikiLeaks for embarrassing Hillary Clinton and their party in the last election, is now reportedly considering a presidential pardon for Bradley Manning, one of WikiLeaks' chief provocateurs who got a taxpayer-funded sex change operation while in prison. And then the rest of us this morning got up and wondered to ourselves, after seeing all of this, Daniel, that live in a normal place called what used to be called America, is it too early to start drinking? Do I have that right, Daniel? You, you basically described what conservatives have been dealing with ever since this new year began, which, my gosh, it seems like we're uh, five months into 2017, not, not just 10 days here. Unfortunately, everything we hated about the campaign is continuing into what's likely to be the presidency here, where everything's a binary choice. Um, are you for this fake news about Russia? Or ain't I the fake news about Russia? Are you for the Democrats pro-Russia or the Trumps pro-Russia? Are you for Julian Assange or Putin or for the Democrats hating Putin but then liking Putin and allowing Iran to trade uranium with them? I mean, this is the thing. And, and this is why, meanwhile, when it comes to Obamacare, when it comes to DACA amnesty, when it comes to refugees, we're all sitting and wondering, hey, what's going on here? Uh, uh, what, what happened to the campaign promises? Because all of that um, gets swept under the rug. Most of talk radio wastes their brain cells on, on the nonsense you just mentioned. And, and here we are. Um, I, I guess you could say it's changed from the Obama administration instead of social transformation of the, of the country. You just have social transformation of the media narrative. But either way, conservatives lose do you every know, time. How do, do we know that whether or not this stuff is true until Drudge and Infowars are able to confirm for us? I did check with Alex Jones, and he's going to get back to us after he figures out who made the friggin' frogs gay. He's going to figure that out for us first, Daniel. Then he's going to be able to confirm or deny this story for us. No, I mean, but but even Trump's own people, Rex Tillerson at today's hearing, uh, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee had to admit that obviously Russia was meddling in the elections and everything. Um, but, you know, the specific stuff, we're never going to know. I mean, that's the truth. Uh, this is the problem with our, our institutions. When nobody has principles anymore, 
Nobody has a modicum of consistency. So everything is about politics, and politics is about salaciousness now. So we can't even trust our intelligence agencies. We can't trust the Democrats. We can't trust the media. We can't tr trust Trump. Um, and meanwhile, does anyone want to talk about Obamacare? <laughs> this is... How are we going to how are we going to conserve anything we even believe in this environment? How, and and let's face it, outside of what we do at Conservative Review and a couple of other places, most of our brethren in our so-called movement or industry aren't even asking themselves this question. The the entire uh the it, this is Pavlovian dog stuff, zipper rattling for groupies after a rock concert stuff. It's just I must immediately defend my proxy, uh, Trump, 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 Team GOP. And, and so the conversations and questions that you want to ask just aren't even considered by most of the people that do what you and I do for a living. Let's just be honest about that. It's just, oh. They're just not. No, and that's what I think we're all proud of conservative review, what we've done there. I mean, you look at the content we have. I mean, just this week, I think of just as January 1st, the things that I've written about, um, the interviews I've given, the podcasts we have. I don't even know how much I've mentioned Trump because, honestly, he's been MIA on all these issues. Um, this is all you hear about him, the, the tweets and everything. So I haven't even talked about him so much, good or bad, negative or positive. I'm talking about our freaking future, everything we want to do on fiscal, social, national security. And um, I, I, you know, if someone asked me, a, a colleague of ours in, in the radio industry, Daniel, who do you talk to? I want to get people together to try to plot a path forward. And I said, honestly, I'm feeling awfully lonely now. I find myself the first man at the scene of the crime on all these issues. Um, the, the last two weeks, I've literally been waging a lonely battle on the, this two-state solution nonsense and Obamacare. Mm -hmm. They are not repealing Obamacare, and no one wants to talk about it. Well, let's go there next, then, on repealing Obamacare. Are they going to do it? Are they going to half-arse it? Are they not going to do it at all? Is it, is, do we even know? And how much of a role is what Trump wants on, in this going to actually play? Or is he just going to go along with what they think? In fact, i got to get to a break so you get a couple of seconds to think about the answers to those questions. Daniel Horowitz is here with us to take us inside politics each week here on the Steve Day Show from Conservative Review. More with Daniel in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. You can take the scraps the Democrats want to give you. But I like it here. They let me eat anything that falls on the floor. Or you can work for more. This is the Steve Day Show. All right, back here with more Inside Politics here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So let's, let's go, Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review. Let's go to the latest with Obamacare. Is, let's start with the president-elect, because to me, the, this really, the, 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 the onus is really on him. Uh, he, he's the guy that was brought in. He's the guy, with guys like you and I were told all throughout the last year, we, we just, we, you know, conservatism lost, can't win. Uh, we need a provocateur. We need a bull in a china shop. 
uh, who's unconventional and will use the force of his celebrity and persona to get these Republicans in Congress to do things they would never do for us before because they really don't ideologically agree with us, and he'll just bully them for us. Okay. So to me, the onus is really on him. Like, we know who Mitch McConnell is. We know who Bob Corker is. We know who Paul Ryan is. Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not. But we, we know who Ted Cruz is. We know who Marco Rubio is. We know who these guys are, good and bad. We know their strengths. We know their weaknesses. The, the new player in, this, in the scheme here is Trump. He's the new dynamic. He's the new catalyst, right? So to me, it, the question really comes down on an issue like the repealing of Obamacare. Is he going to lead or is he going to follow? So what are we seeing from the administration to be? I'm seeing more following. Um, as far as Congress, like you said, we know who they are. They have not changed one iota. Not one iota. They have not been inspired by the election, which I think a big part of the late surge um, you know, where Trump took over and won was because of Obamacare. Uh, the letters that went out from the insurance companies in, in late October, canceling people's plans, doubling premiums like the one I got in the mail. Um, and, and this has been going on for six years. Republicans up and down the federal and state ba- ballot have are, are probably in a better predicament than they've been in since the Civil War. I mean, it, it is that good. And it's because in large degree to, uh, because of Obamacare. Obama's leaving office, you know, pretty with pretty high favorabilities relative to anyone who completed a second term. It's all Obamacare. Yet these people will not repeal it because they support Obamacare in all but name only. Obamacare it consists of regs and subsidies. They support regs and subsidies, albeit maybe a few less. It's the same thing. So they're not repealing it. Unless there's an intervention from God, it will not be repealed. If I were a betting man on in-trade, one of those uh, old betting markets on politics, I'd have to bet against my own best interests and say they're not repealing it. Um, Trump is just kind of a balloon in the wind so far. I warned about this. If you don't understand policy, you don't understand the subterfuge and the legislative uh, process, and you don't under and you don't have core political beliefs, you're not going to strong arm these guys. You're going to go along with it. Trump every other day he'll give a statement. We need to delay repeal, but then he'll say we need to repeal right away. We need to replace. But everyone's using semantics and not understanding that as we are speaking, they are not repealing it. So to me, he's your pressure point then. I mean, we, if, him, if, and it, it, him and Pence, but I mean, if, if people are listening to us right now and, and they don't like what they're hearing, you know, I don't, you could waste your time, I suppose, calling a bunch of people on something that they've betrayed us on many times before. And, and I think sometimes you give the devil his due. I saw one liberal last week made the, uh, the criticism, Hey, you guys voted over 50 times the last four years to repeal Obamacare. And now you tell us you don't have a plan to replace it in place. Those were just sham votes. I think that's actually a fair criticism. I mean, if you, if, if those were, if they really wanted to repeal this thing, they've had some, how many years now to to have something ready to go day one. They, Mitch McConnell stood out there and said the day after the election, this would be one of their highest priorities. Paul Ryan continues to say it will be one of their highest priorities, including a defund Planned Parenthood effort, Planned Parenthood effort as part of the repeal of Obamacare. But you're, you're looking at the actual legislative process, and you're telling us that's all bunk. That is absolutely all bunk. These people, no Republican. L- l- let me tell you this. I had even a conservative member ask me, Daniel... Could you explain to me the difference between the individual mandate and the insurance regs? I mean, they don't understand the basics of it, and this is the problem. They don't understand health care. They don't understand free markets. Certainly Trump himself doesn't understand it. It's not being repealed. And also, I have a piece out today. They, this notion of repeal and replace is offensive. It's like saying undocumented or LGBTQ to conservative. By saying replace – 
you're accepting the premise that Obamacare is doing some good, albeit has problems and needs to be replaced. It does not need to be replaced. Now, there's a lot of other things we should be doing anyway on healthcare. We should have been doing long before Obamacare to make it even more free market, to, to reduce costs even more, but not to replace. But they have accepted that premise. They've taken on self-culpability. Oh, we're, we're throwing people off. Boy, we don't want to throw people off. We, we, we. Well, yeah, they're sabotaging our messaging. Um, and I don't see Pence or Trump anywhere to be seen. And one other piece of evidence that's on another issue, but I think sheds light on this. Uh, uh, Israeli media is reporting that Trump indeed is not moving the embassy. Yeah, we're going to go there next. Yeah, we're up so against the break. Go. Wanted to ask you about that in, while you were here, definitely. And we will do that when we come back here with Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here with Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review, taking us inside politics here on the Steve Dace Show. You're on the Salem Radio Network. Right, you mentioned uh, something I definitely wanted to ask you about tonight. Uh, there was a report out yesterday, and this is something that the Trump, uh, uh, the Trump team and the soon-to-be Trump administration has been trumpeting for months now, that they were going to follow through on his campaign pledge to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem there in Israel. Last week, and forgive me, I should have alerted you and a few of our friends to this, I, I was just sick and just lost and, and forgot about it. But last week, Adam, I had a little birdie from the inside there on Trump team, call me up and say, hey, we're going to lose on this NBC thing unless you guys can apply some public pressure because people like Rupert Murdoch are literally calling Trump Tower every day and telling them you can't move the uh, the embassy uh, to Jerusalem. It's too risky. It'll make uh, too big of a statement. It'll upset the powder keg there, etc. Last uh, night or yesterday, there was a report, uh, which you mentioned from Israeli News, saying that they're going to move the, the, the ambassador there. He's going he's to be stationed out of Jerusalem, but they will not move the embassy there. What's your take on that? I was honestly shocked. And whether you care about this issue or not, this issue is so telling as to what his modus operandi is. It actually embodies the critique that you and I gave of him throughout the primary, throughout the election, that for all this talk that this guy's a fighter and is going to bulldoze the existing paradigm and not be stuck in the GOP thinking of their broken political barometer of what's a winning issue and what's a losing issue, he's just not going to care. No, he's a fighter when it comes to the Twitter wars about personal, um, you know, allegations of, you know, a just stuff, you know, like you talked about with with the Russian business. But as it relates to core ideological issues, if you don't have the ideology, why would you fight for it? You're always going to pick the path to least resistance. Now, even even myself, even I thought that this is an issue for sure was cemented. Trump was very strong about that. Um, but as soon as you had the Arab blowback and they said, oh, we're not going to deal with this. Um, lo and behold, he pulls back to me. If he can't even be right on this issue when, when Republicans have a consensus on this and even a lot of Democrats are forced to admit, like Schumer and Cardin, that they'd have to support it, you mean to tell me he's going to implement free market health care? He's going to shut off Islamic refugees? He's going to repeal the, the DACA for 800,000 illegals? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. And I actually thought I, – I was a little bit concerned about the embassy issue becoming a shiny object, that it was so in the bag and so, such a no-brainer that we'd get it, but then that would be used to negotiate, to give away Judea and Samaria, create a Palestinian state, and yet now we can't even do the shiny object. You know, I, I said this on our show last night when we talked about this. I, I don't work in the State Department. I don't work in the intelligence community. I'm not an expert on what's going on on the ground there. I mean, I'm not even as smart about this as my buddy Joe Rosenberg, who writes all those best-selling books about the Middle East and intrigue. Um, but, but if you observe the way their culture operates, and, and it may be that the risk-reward of moving the embassy there, I don't even know. I don't know if Dory Gold or Bibi Netanyahu got on the phone to the Trump team and said, hey, what this will do here on the ground is not worth the symbolic gesture. I don't know. I'm just saying I don't know. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe it's not as big of a deal, in fact, as it is to guys like you and I, in, symbolically. That being said, even if I granted that point, what we cannot do, to the cultures of the Middle East, and we have done this going back to Obama's red line, and we've really done this for several years now. If you cannot make a provocative statement like that and come in like you are a bull in a china shop, that you are that there's a new sheriff in town, if you you got to follow through on bad stuff rather than go half-assed on good stuff. It, don't say anything then, unless you go to, you're going to follow through. The last signal we need to be sending to the Islamists over there is that we've got another guy who talks a big game and 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 has people has a fawning, adoring, cultish you know crowd of supporters. But when push comes to shove, and the and the scepter's really in his hand, won't actually wield it. That is a terrible signal to send, Daniel. That is exactly the problem we have in the Middle East. It is, the, it is the message that jihad pays. We codify, we legitimize the violence of Islamic jihad into our policy. This, by the way, at its core, remember, Israel was supposed to be the entire mandate for Palestine, which includes modern-day Jordan, uh, right after World War I. The Arabs went nuts, so they gave 77% modern-day Jordan to the Arabs. Everything west of the Jordan River was supposed to be for the Jewish state. But throughout the 20s and 30s, they did jihad. And people forget, you know, while the Jews were being slaughtered in the Holocaust, 30s, 40s, um, they were being slaughtered in, uh, in, in modern-day Israel and the Holy Land there um, by the Muslim Brotherhood, Egyptians, the Jordanians. And um, so therefore, they got the size of a bathtub in 1949. Then they wanted to destroy the bathroom, bathtub-sized Jewish state. Um, you know, thanks to God, they, they had armistice lines. But then they came back for more in 67. And, you know... Israel cleaned their clock, got it all back, and everything they were supposed to originally have. Since 67, what we've been doing every time is you can't do this. You can't build a house on a, on a Judean hilltop because the Arabs will go nuts. If that is the attitude we're going to continue, then we j just go home. I mean, this is the same garbage. Like I said, I thought the embassy was in the bag. My concern was that he wouldn't um, deviate from the stupid Oslo business and this two-state solution because of the Arab street. And let me tell you, what happened to this good negotiator? Jordan is telling us what to do. Jordan is hanging by a thread and could fall to ISIS. They are, King Abdullah is living because of Israel and America. We have a tremendous amount of political capital to say, hey, shut the hell up when it comes to the embassy. What's going on here? I don't get it. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't get it either. I, I don't want to think that the some of the observations I made during the campaign, that this is that guy that because he watches the crawler screens all day on cable news, thinks he's an expert. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't want those things to be true. And once the election was over and the people had their say, 
I wiped the slate clean and said, hey, no, I want you guys to be right. I want this to work. The country needs it to work. Um, so, you know, what's past is prologue. Control-Alt-Delete, we're starting anew, and Finnegan begin again. But but the last week or so, I, I, you know, the, con- the the Sessions confirmation hearing yesterday, going up there and saying that Roe v. Wade's the law of the land, but it violated the Constitution at the same time. I don't know what the hell that even means. I, I don't I don't even know what that means. Tillerson saying today that he would have actually provided defensive armor armaments to the Ukrainians uh, against the Russian Crimean excur- incursion, and then turning around saying that he won't commit to continuing the ver- the very sanctions against Russia for doing this in the first place. What the hell does any of that mean, Daniel? Do you know? It means what Trump has meant the entire year. Inconsistency. Daniel, we'll do this again next week. Thank you, man. Take care. Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review. We'll have some comments on what you just heard here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Daniel Horowitz. And, Kim, I want to start with you. What, uh, what did Daniel say that stood out to you? Well, one of the things, it's, I think it's an excellent criticism. Anytime I hear someone who wants to repeal and replace Obamacare, I'm always on guard. I think, what in the world are you talking about? Are we going to do an Obama light? Um, You had asked me, I think it was last week, about Rand Paul wanting to do the same thing, using the same words, repeal and replace. So I had to do some research, and his replace is with free markets, freedom to choose inexpensive insurance, um, freedom to save unlimited amounts in the health care or health savings accounts, um, freedom to buy insurance across lines, freedom to uh, associate and become, you know, start your own pools of insured um, instead of having it tied to your um, employ- employers. So um, there are plans out there. Um, I also like the idea that um, we have people like Rand Paul that were putting forth a balanced budget um, bill instead of the $9 trillion that just got passed. So... Um, there are some good things that are happening, but I agree with Daniel Horowitz. This is not looking good. Todd? 2016 was a really, really weird year, but we had an opportunity to learn a lot, so it wasn't necessarily bad. When I hear Daniel, all of my pessimism, optimism leisure, and it's, you know, it barely hops into optimism on some days, but it just goes all the way to the end of pessimism. And he backs it up on on every single front. Uh, Donald Trump and his team, again, so far have had opportunity. I mean, uh, it's one thing we talk about. Yes, they command the uh, the, the the press. We got that. They got that game figured out. This isn't a game. This is our country, and so far, not so good. One of the things you heard me say a lot during the campaign is during my decade plus in politics, and that may not seem like a long time, but 
when you've been involved with as many races and campaigns and candidates as I have, man, you age in dog years. Right, here in Iowa, that's a lifetime. That, okay, right? you, you age in dog years. Okay, so it, it seems like four score and seven years ago <laughs> is what it seems like. Okay, but um, I've never seen anybody ever govern once elected differently than they campaigned before they were elected. Now, again, let me clarify that. When I say that, I don't mean ideologically. We've seen all kinds of people on both sides of the aisles make issue-based promises, promises and policy-based promises they go back on when they get elected, right? That's, that's oh, called yes. Tuesday. That's any day that ends in Y around here. What I mean is, is methodology, not ideology, but methodology. The way by which they, I hate to sound like Nick Saban, the process, but the way by which they carry themselves forward. If their campaigns were buttoned down, then they will govern that way and how they relate to you. If it was loose lips sink ships, same thing once they get into office. If it was haphazard, same thing when they get into office. And we are now already beginning to see some of the same weaknesses that that were there during the campaign are showing themselves as we get set to govern, too. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up, uh, in case you missed it, we did an interview about a week ago, really taking you in-depth on Obamacare and what it does, what it doesn't do. Will it be repealed? What would that look like? What would, the, what would alternatives look like? And, and, and from a perspective of a good friend of mine who works at a high level in the healthcare industry, advising companies, big and small, on, on their own wellness and health insurance policies based on uh, the current environment politically and, and, and the current regulatory environment. I want to replay that interview because I know several of our affiliates only pick up the first two hours of the show. And I think we played that in the third hour a few weeks ago. And not everybody does the podcast thing yet. I want as many people to hear this as possible because I think there's a lot of really good information in there that everybody should hear. And so that's coming up later on in this hour. All right. But I, I want to begin by going back to the story we spent a good deal of hour one talking about. Uh, and, and, and I know because of the era in which we live and social media and all of us indulge in this, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else, the salacious aspects of it are just such low-lying fruit, particularly because we can, we'll probably never know the truth. So that's another excuse for us to indulge ourselves, right? Um, but there's another angle to this, and it's, it's something I was talking to a, 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 a little birdie of mine about last night when we, when we were talking about any potential seriousness with this story. You know, one of the... For all of us, our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses, Right? You know, one of my great strengths in the political arena is also one of my great weaknesses. One of my great strengths is I don't require a lot of affirmation from other people because I didn't grow up with a lot of it. I grew up in an abusive environment. And that means it's hard to influence me in ways that other people are influenced to compromise what they believe. 
that has served me well. But at times when I have not governed it appropriately, it is, it is, it is, it is, it has disserved me too because it is, I, I have driven relationships away unnecessarily because of that instinct that I have. Right. So you have to be careful with your great strengths. They don't become your great weaknesses. That's where accountability and discernment, maturity, experience come in. One of Trump's great strengths, and I'm saying this because I know there are Trump team people that listen to this show. So I'm going to say this on the radio in the, in the hopes that this is taken in the spirit that it is intended. One of Trump's great strengths is his ability to destroy narratives with the power of his personality. In fact, I just wrote a column for Conservative Review about how that's even helping us on some levels as conservatives who are skeptical of Trump. He's blown up the media complex. We we can push things and say things that even a year or so ago would have been considered verboten. He's the first politician in a long time to pry open the Overton window for our side. And I think that should be recognized if we're going to be honest and, and tell the truth. But you have to be careful. The hammer doesn't think everything he sees is a nail. Not everybody that Trump is going to encounter are these feckless little whiny, sniffling reporters that he's used to just steamrolling. There are some real bad hombres. People that know what they're doing. People that take people like Donald Trump down for breakfast. Okay? And so you got to know that. Not everybody is a fellow trust fund kid that you outsmarted on a hotel deal on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Sometimes there are people that have stared down vicious, bloodthirsty dictators or taken them out. And something Trump did a few weeks ago that worried me quite a bit for him. And of course, whether we like it or not, in the minds of many Americans, he's carrying our values and our flag into the public arena. So it concerned me for us was the public undermining of the intelligence community. Essentially treating them like Vanity Fair or the New York Times, or Meryl Streep. Because of the alleged, you know, that when, when the first report came out that the intelligence community thought Russia tried to intervene with the election. And, so, and trying to discredit them publicly. Now listen, these people don't have a perfect record. I think we all recognize that. And whoever was giving the last administration and the outgoing one now intelligence that there's all these moderate Muslims out there just dying to bring democracy to the Middle East, how many people have we gotten killed with that fallacy? And we just had a conversation about this again on the show last night, did we not, with somebody who's lived through this personally, this entire worldview fallacy. No human being is infallible. But this is where you're going to need, and I shouldn't have to say this to a 70-year-old man who just got elected president, but you're going to need a certain level of maturity here. You can't just Twitter bomb everybody. Not everything, Robert Duvall, is I love the smell of napalm in the morning. When you're dealing, the intelligence community is not some media straw man that you can just set up and club them like a pinata anytime you want. When you need a slump buster, like I, I saw one of my buddies, Dan Gaynor at the Media Research Center say today that the Trump team should just disavow BuzzFeed from the White House. And at first I agreed with that. And then I thought, no, I, on second thought, keep them around. Later on, if somebody actually gets the goods on you, you keep them. They're your straw man. Get out of jail free card. We'll see. Remember when BuzzFeed threw that crap out there? Who believes that? Right. Keep them around. Don't discredit them. You want them visible. BuzzFeed's helping you, as a matter of fact. Hell, I'd put them in the Helen Thomas seat in the, in, the, in, the, in the White House and just let Sean Spicer just club them like baby seals every day from 12 to 1230 Eastern. People will love that stuff. They want it. Give it to them. 
look at the crowd like Russell Crowe and Gladiator, give them the carnage they want, bodies, limbs, blood everywhere, and look at them and say, are you not entertained? Because let's face it, most of us don't want serious governing. We want to be entertained. Give the crowd what it wants, Maximus. But this isn't Commodus. The intelligence community is not some sniveling, coward, uh, reprobate who just inherited a crown because he won the lucky sperm club. These people plot the downfalls of dictators who have only done, who have done the things Trump has only fantasized about on the golden throne of Trump Tower and Trump Plain. They've done them a million times in spades. They could give Trump lessons on megalomania and narcissism. These people swim in a deeper gene pool than Trump has had to interact with. This isn't taking down Perez Hilton. This isn't taking down, you know, some, some hack at BuzzFeed. These guys take down world dictators, take on terrorists. And they don't have to come out of the shadows to identify themselves either. And, and, and therefore, they have no accountability. They can leak whatever they want about you. They can say whatever they want about you. And there is a pliable platform and media out there that will willingly give them the goods to do it. And an entire political party whose agenda has been rejected by the American people, they've lost the moral high ground, and and they've made a joke out of themselves challenging you. So they need something credible, something credible to make their own ability to grind your ability to govern to a halt. Don't give it to them. Trump likes his conspiracy theories? I'll give you one. You know, the last time we had a president who openly questioned the character and credibility of the intelligence community, he didn't finish his first term, as I recall, Dealey Plaza. So you like your conspiracy theories over there at Trump Tower? I'll give you one. How about that one? This is an unwinnable argument. Not to mention, if you've even done some of the things that are alleged... Would you trust anybody else on planet Earth to uncover the actual evidence of it other than our intelligence community? I wouldn't, would you? I'd be, listen, they've got sources and budgets the New York Times does not have, okay? And they can do it with rally around the flag. The New York Times cannot. Don't pick this fight. You got issues with these people? You bring him in privately when you're the president of the United States and you sit in that Oval Office and you have the power. But when you spout off like this against real badasses, not sniveling reporters who are in and out, at the, who, are, who are sitting around sweating out the next budget cut at the Washington Post, so they got to figure out how many rainbow jihad stories they can write to, in, in order to pad their resume in the interim. You're talking about real badasses, pardon the expression. Don't pick a fight like that with them carelessly that puts everything that people invested in you and all the issues they have hopes in you and everything they're hoping that you will be able to accomplish for them, bringing their jobs back, securing their health care, their national security, their borders, their religious liberty, their free speech, the future for their children. Don't put all of that at risk because you think you're tougher than everybody else when you're not. And I'm afraid he's done that here. We'll talk more about that here in a moment.
You're listening to Steve Dace. For a written transcript of this show, start writing really fast. Right now, Steve Dace. Alright, I'm going to skip the nightly buzz because I want to stay on this topic for just a moment. And I want, to, I want to say one more thing, and then I want to get you guys' reaction to what I just said about this. See, what this, the system wants Donald Trump to fail. Not maybe for the same reasons I was too skeptical to vote for him. Because I just, the reason I didn't vote for him is everything I told you during the campaign. And, that's, and I wish I could tell you some of the confusion and everything else we're seeing now surprises me, but it doesn't. That's why I made the decision that I made. But I, I do want you to be right. I want to be wrong. I want this to be successful. I want to be able to go in four years from now and pull that lever for him and say, glad I got that one wrong. I do. I really do. But the system wants him to be unsuccessful for a different reason. Because the system doesn't want to set a precedent that somebody that comes from outside of its own grooming uh, stations, outside of its own apparatus, is capable of governing at this level. Doesn't want to have any so-called outsiders. Now, a guy who's a billionaire isn't much of an outsider, but an outsider to them means he didn't come from the same enclaves, didn't go to the same think tanks, doesn't hang out with the same donors that we do. That's what it means. He's not in the same ingratiated class as we. And the system wants to show that if you bring somebody in like that, they don't know what they're doing, they're an amateur. Just because you can run all these businesses doesn't mean you can run a government. See, he's a failure. And that means four years from now, we're going to have to, or eight years from now, whenever it will be, we'll have to have another election between the hand, like, wait, what was it? Seven of the last eight presidential elections had a Bush or Clinton on the ballot, or eight out of the last nine, something like that. We'll have to have somebody else from the hand-picked establishments of both parties uh, feeding us the same tripe and talking points we're used to and we've choked on and we are just sick of. And he's gonna, that's going to require a level of discernment, decorum, and tact from him that, frankly, he has not shown up until this point. If he fails, you'll never get, in our lifetimes, I don't believe, you'll never get another, another any semblance of an outsider ever elected ever again. Ever. You'll never have any injection of, flu, of, of new blood ever again. Because the argument will be, if a guy with his celebrity, his resume, his level of worldly accomplishment, if he can't make it happen, then it can't happen. And that's why we just got to go with what the two or three think tanks on the right or the left tell us are the candidates that are acceptable and go with that. And who's quote-unquote electable. And who the media says we should vote for. So there is a lot more writing on this than just your ego, President Trump. There's a lot more writing on this than just... Uh, your persona or defending your accomplishment of winning the election and not wanting to share the glory with Vladimir Putin in Russia. I know your adoring throngs probably don't tell you this. But you are carrying a lot of hopes and aspirations with you with every tweet you make, every move you make. And when you pick a fight against an enemy with unlimited connections and resources and is non-identifiable like the intelligence community before you're the president and you really have some leverage with them. Like how about you just cut your funding if you don't like it? How you like them apples? You don't have any, you do it now? You threaten the ability to govern legitimately when you get into office. 
and allow, and, and you give them the, the permission to hand your enemies leverage over you to just gum up the works and, and dominate the narrative. You know, as much as Trump has the power to dominate narratives, he could not dominate the grab them by the you know what narrative. He couldn't change that. It was going to kill his presidency. James Comey changed that narrative with his letter. That was the final narrative of the 2016 election, was it not? It was done until the Comey letter. Trump, not even his own persona, could conquer that one. He will not beat the intelligence community. He will not win battles like this, doing it like this. And there needs to be somebody, Kim and Todd, around him that says to him these sorts of truths. That sometimes, not every, not, not every time does the hammer have to hit a nail. Your thoughts? Well, the laugh track that usually comes along with a lot of our commentary about Trump is definitely gone in this one. I think this is really important that you said this because Donald Trump needs to have a voice like this in his ear because I think this would be a fight he would naturally pick. Let's face it, the intelligence community isn't a whole. We've got independent bodies, CIA, NSA, and we've learned over time that they are uh, so insular that they have not worked together well and imperiled uh, the country in that regard. My fear is Trump knows that much. And therefore, yes, he might turn one aspect of the intelligence community against him, but he would try to set the rest against that. And uh, we would like to think that there's enough patriots there that want to go for that. I don't, this country is so systematically, the government, the bureaucracy is so broken at, at, at such a systematic level, that would be a game of, of thermonuclear war and i would not put it past trump to dip his toes in that water you know when i hear you um talk about this subject steve i think of um you're asking him to rise above the methodology by which he campaigned yeah right yes and you're asking him to live up to the hopes that conservatives had that once not he just got conservatives, into, americans yeah that when he got Amer into, uh, not non-progressive drunk utopian americans and there's a lot of those people that aren't even conservatives they just know what we've been doing are wrong well, or won't work and the idea that is once, wrong. bad grammar my bad once he gets into office he would be more and i'm doing air quotes presidential that's what we're talking about. That, that he about. would rise to the occasion of, 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 of understanding what awesome responsibility he has. Yeah. Yes. And does that happen? No, I've never seen it happen. Never. There we go. But, that, but you know what? Nobody had ever seen a dead man come alive either. You know? Right. So, uh, you know, our worldview begins and ends with, uh, you know, the notion that miracles is part of the actual natural order of things. So it, it, just because it's never happened doesn't mean that it can't. And clearly he does paint things with a broad brush, right? The big stroke that all the intelligence community cannot be trusted because, what, they gave out some of this, these reports to NBC before he got it. Let me, let me, you know. I think I just figured out how to put it better than I took me 15 minutes to put it just a minute ago. Okay. Imagine you were a liberal Democrat in 1998 and you wake up one morning and you find out that a troubled intern has the president's DNA on her dress, verifiable, and that, you're, that you went to war for this guy. Because you wanted him to undo all the damage you thought Reagan Bush did, right? And, and you found out that a president who has probably movie starlets lined up to satisfy him privately whenever he would want was so undisciplined 
so immature, so damaged that he risked everything he had built for your agenda over the last six years in order to turn the word humidor into a verb with a troubled intern off the off the West Wing. Imagine how angry you'd be at that. Trump needs to consider there are millions of people who have vested their their hopes from their perspective into him. And is this worth that investment? Is the, is the behavior I'm engaging in now, does it, he's a businessman. I want to commit, talk to him like a businessman. Look at the ROI. Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you must do that thing. Does that better make better sense of what I'm trying to say? Oh, clearly it does. I mean, that's, you know, you're talking about the return on investment. Who do you know around him that can speak this truth to him? It's, it's, it might be a better case of who do you know around him that he would actually uh, listen to. Right. But since we aren't really sure about his motivations to be president still, we don't know if he thinks this will be worth it or not. No, I mean, listen, Kellyanne Conway, David Bossy, the people that got him elected aren't the political director. We don't even know what role Steve Bannon even has. Right? Are the kids really running the show? We don't know. You're listening to Steve Dace. The Sleeping Giants Alarm Clock, Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So, the incoming administration has let it be known that repealing Obamacare, or at least fake repealing Obamacare, that's being debated as we speak, but, but some variation of repealing of Obamacare is its top priority. The Democrats have uh, tried to respond. They are coming out with the branding, Make America Sick Again. I'm not exactly sure... Which Democrat consultant told them to go out there and do a press avail, guys, surrounded by a banner that said, make America sick again, coming off an election you just lost? But this is not the branding that you are looking for, okay? I mean, that is, that's the worst picture on Capitol Hill since Rubio Schumer three years ago. Can you say Jimmy Carter malaise? Yeah, you know. Don't ever stand up for a photo op behind a, in front of a sign that says "Make America Sick Again." All right, that's that. You don't want to send that kind of message to people. Nonetheless, the debate over Obamacare is raging. My good friend Jake Veely is here because he works for a living, needing to know what things like Obamacare really do and really don't do. And we want to welcome him back to the show. Jake, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Remind our audience, it's been a while since we've had you on. Remind our audience, you, I mean, you consult for companies, their wellness plans, right? One of the things you do is to make sure they are compliant with regulations and things of that nature. Do I have that right? Yeah. I, I own a firm that, that does consulting across the board and population health work. We also get involved in the regulatory structures around uh, not just how healthcare is delivered, but how it's funded. So you have to know, beyond the political spin, you have to know, in the, uh, the, in the real world, you, your clients face the consequences of, of this kind of legislation outside of the spin from both sides. Right. They've spent billions of dollars since 2010 trying to become compliant related to all the regulatory structures around Obamacare. Let me get a big picture question first before we look at some of the claims surrounding Obamacare. Is there enthusiasm, excitement, trepidation or disagreement with the notion of even partially repealing this 
I, I think even most of the clients that I work with are all supportive of the repeal of Obamacare, but there's trepidation as to what it's going to look like and how it actually is going to unfold because many of these companies spent millions and billions of to dollars get themselves to get themselves it. compliant. Right. So uh, just undoing it, which, you know, the whole thing is at the end of the day, is it really going to end up being worth it to to take all this work that we did and flush it down the drain and start over? Um, most of them, when we're sitting around the dinner table after our, our work that day, are saying, yeah, they think it eventually is, is going to be worth it because we're heading in a direction so fast, so unsustainable right now that unless we hit the brakes, jump out, and let the car fly over uh, the cliff, we're going we're gonna to be flying over the cliff with it. Are your, uh, would, would your client support uh, one of the top members of Trump's transition team today, Congressman Collins, said that whatever form repeal takes, it won't actually take effect till 2019? Because people have already purchased their 2017 plans back in October. They're already working on lining people up for 2018. So the cynic in me says, well, they want to wait till after the midterm elections of 2018 in case it goes wrong. But there are some logistical reasons there, right, Why, where you would give businesses like the ones you work with, you would give them a 16-month head start on here's how things are going to change after you spent two to three years getting yourselves ready for the changes. Yeah, at least that amount of time. I mean, there's the, – the, this is – this is truly turning the Titanic, and and it's it's such a massive undertaking, and the the regulations spread through every aspect of healthcare funding. Give us an example of regulations your clients put up with that maybe our average listener just yeah. it can't even identify. Yeah, so I I work with because we hear about making guys pay for Pap smears and stuff like that, but sure. it's got to go beyond that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I work with a carrier, um, an insurance company out of Kansas City, that. Um, had to completely drop an entire part of their business. And this is a family-owned business for 50 years and had to create an entirely new insurance structure around that client base because Obamacare turned that insurance product that they were selling into an illegal product, which this happened to all the carriers around the country, so this isn't uncommon. Uh, but that's a, a good example. They had to take a huge part of their revenue that of this business that they'd had in their family forever and, and create an entirely new business to make everything continue to go forward, to continue to employ their 150 employees and, and to, and to try to get people covered again. So it, it was, it was huge. So you're talking wholesale change there. Absolutely. 100%. All right. So. Has this done some of the things, its proponents, there are proponents of it, has it done some of the things that they are claiming? Are we really looking at a full repeal? We're going to get answers to those questions here next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Class, meet your worst nightmare. I'm having these dreams, but I'm scared. Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. My buddy Jake Veely is here with us, and he works in the healthcare industry. One of the things he does is consulting with companies all over the country. 
on their wellness programs, their insurance programs, including being Obamacare compliant. So when you remove all the political spin we hear from our side and theirs on this, he actually has to deal with the real numbers, the real regulations, and the real world consequences of this legislation, both good and bad. We talked about the big picture of this. Let's look at some of the details, Chick. Is it true that Obamacare brought health insurance or health care to 20 million new Americans? If you want to go based on surveys and not on actual enrollment data from the insurance carriers, you could still debate that that number is highly inflated. Um, We are at a point right now to where none of the information that we have about Obamacare coverage even gets close to that number when we're looking at what is actually coming out of United Healthcare. Coventry. Give us an example. What is not even close to 20 million? Uh, Like 16 million, 10 million? So 14, or or, let's see, uh, um, 11.7 million or 11.8 million roughly, somewhere in there, of of these 20, you know, prospective 20 million people that were covered were actually covered by Medicare. Okay, so... You mean Medicaid? Medicaid, sorry. Yes, that's okay. Um, So... Right off the bat, there's a huge chunk of people that are getting health insurance that is being funded fully by the government. Mm-hmm. They're, they're making no payments. And this is be like if you live in a state like Ohio, where the Republican governor they expanded Medicaid yep. to try and compensate for what Obamacare regulated and demanded, et cetera. That's right. So um, there were also about 2.3 million people who were covered. Can I clarify that point for just sure. so essentially yeah. what Obama for the Obamacare people to say they they insured this many people. It's a little bit like saying I started a fire and I give my own fire department credit for how many fires they put out that I started, right? That's correct. So they're taking credit for how many people had to be flooded into Medicaid because of what they did to destabilize the pre-existing system. Yeah, it's, it's also important to mention that these people weren't without coverage prior to Obamacare. They aren't just newly picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these people came out of state programs that were made illegal by the very passing of Obamacare and some of the regulatory structures within the law. So the, the another chunk of the people, 2.3 million of them roughly, were the 19 to 26-year-olds who were able to go back on their parents' plans uh, versus going and getting insurance or not having it, you know, depending on, on what they would have been doing. Again, a group of people who were not necessarily paying any premiums in, so none of these are and they're are still paying premiums because they're on correct. their parents' insurance. That's absolutely correct. So the actual net increase of insureds, if you if you take out the people who were forced off of their employer's plan because their employer dropped a plan and were forced back into the market, I don't call that a net gain mm-hmm. in insurance because they were insured before. They are estimating right now from the actual carrier data that about 2.3 million people who were not covered before, who truly were not covered, actually gained coverage through the marketplaces that Obamacare started. Seems like one hell of a mess to make. It's a For huge For an mess. infinitesimal amount of people in the grand scheme of things. And I think we also need to make sure we clarify, we're talking health insurance, not health care. Anybody can go to an ER at any point in time, cannot be turned away. So there's this notion that people didn't have health care. Healthcare is different than health insurance, and those terms have gotten conflated quite a bit here in the last few years. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's one of the things that I constantly talk about in you know my presentations and conferences and things. Is um, we we really need to start having more of a conversation around what healthcare 
is going to look like in the next five, ten years, not necessarily just what the funding mechanisms around healthcare is. Because it, it's this isn't popular to say necessarily on this forum, but healthcare was a mess before Obamacare. I mean, costs were going up like crazy. Obamacare just exacerbated an existing problem. Right. The the, the things that that the are HMO going on now. the HMO jokes and laments of ten years ago are now. We just substituted HMO for Obamacare now, right, pretty much. Yep, absolutely. So so we're not dealing with an unfamiliar problem here. I, I think the last... You're tw- dealing with an exacerbated one. Correct. We're, we're dealing with something that we knew was coming 20 years ago. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that Obama really thought, or any of his staffers who wrote this law, thought that it was going to fix anything. Um, I, I think there was probably an agenda behind it that that maybe yeah, I think, more I think towards the goal single of payer was, system was to destate, show that de- the system can't be sustained, and they, and you'd have to go to a single. They were trying to cloward pivot the situation. That's right. what I think. Yeah, I, I would I would have to agree with that because there's no there's no realm of, of smart sense smart people that I can make smart people even if they disagreed with you and I's ideology wouldn't have done it the way they did it. Correct. That's yep. what makes you come to the conclusion that they did it wrong on purpose. Yeah, because e- even if you don't understand how insurance works, it- it's pretty easy to say, if I'm going to throw a whole bunch more features on this car, it's probably going to cost more. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't yes. know, I don't know what world any anyone else lives in, but when you when you order up on a menu, when you when you buy more features on a car, um, you, you know, when you go into a house and you want an extra thing here and an extra thing there, there's normally a cost associated to that. Uh, if you buy an insurance policy and you want extra coverage. What you're describing is why I've I've always believed they went ahead and made the, quote, compromise to get rid of the public option that was in this originally. Because the one way that this would work to at least somewhat be solvent is if there was a public option. That's correct. All right? The, but I think they, they went ahead and agreed, based on Republican complaints, to get rid of it, knowing that without a public option, there was no chance for this thing to be solvent in the hopes that it would crash the system and cause people to go flooding towards a single payer. Yeah. I mean, I mean the bottom line is this, this system, the, the worst parts of this system were actually being very well managed before this law was passed. And they were being very well managed at the state level. And people who really needed it, people who were really sick and who were really poor and are women and children were being taken care of. And they had options. Those options went away when Obamacare was signed. Those people got put into the exact same categories as those of us who may be uh, young, not consuming health care that much, uh, paying uh, our own premiums and things like that. And what happened is, is just the water, the waters rose, and all ships rose with it, and and the premiums came up, and the consumption of healthcare went way up, and for the people who just needed coverage, the premiums got so expensive. All right, here's what I want to do: we come back and wrap up the show in a moment. I, I, we're gonna have a few minutes. I want you to pretend you're, we're one of your clients, and analyze for us, in, in, in as much anticipation as you can, what the replacement's going to look like. Sure. Let's do that here when we return. You're listening to Steve Dace. The power of principles. Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up tonight on the Steve Dace Show with my friend Jake Veely. His his firm, by the way, if, if you are 
a business and you like what you're hearing, if you're looking for this kind of expertise, National Integrative Health is Jake's company where he works. National Integrative Health, and you can visit their website, nationalintegrativehealth.com, nationalintegrativehealth.com. All right, so pretend we're one of the companies you're representing and and you're analyzing based on the the, the, the political headwinds, but also what is feasible given the market situation. What do you think a, a repeal replacement of Obamacare will ultimately look like? I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a return to a lot of the state programs that existed before. Like, for example, in our home state of Iowa, we have the Hawkeye program for yep. the uninsured that can't afford it, yeah. which is a state-run public option, right? Yeah. We also had a, a, a high-risk pool right. that was managed by a board of various different uh, business people and, and stakeholders within the insurance industry. It was managed very well and, and was providing people with... Uh, great coverage for, for their situation. They were very high utilizers of the system. They had an arrangement with Blue Cross Blue Shield here in Iowa, and Blue Cross Blue Shield was given some tax credits um, for their involvement because the program was a loser and they knew that. So they, they washed everything out. I, th- I think you're going to see a return to that. I, I would say the current administration, based on everything they've said, like again, like you said, we don't know exactly what will, what will take place, but based on what we've heard, I think they're going to push a lot of power back to the states. I think the same thing's going to happen with Medicaid. As we talked about earlier, there was an incredible expansion of Medicaid benefits. Um, a lot of the states that were involved in that, they opted in. And I think they're, they're going to be given the opportunity to, to opt back out and get out of the, the federal Medicaid program. I think a lot of the federal subsidies behind the Medicaid program expansion are going to go away. I do th- think those will be cut. Um, Which would further incentivize states to come up with their own correct. program. That's right. correct. And their own funding for it, mm-hmm. which, they've, which they did before. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the federal government will kick in money on that, but it will be nothing like it is right now. The, uh, the, the two things that I think are going to stay, and I think pre-existing coverage or coverage for pre-existing conditions is going to stay politically we can argue them we can argue financially morally but politically eliminating those right now is you'd have a better chance of repealing social security yeah. don't you think yeah i think so i mean there's nothing popular about saying yeah if someone's sick they're not going to be able to get coverage right uh, it's just it's hard to say that now whether that will be done at the state level or whether it will be done on the private market, I don't know. I can I'm live with the sure. pre-existing conditions, understanding the political reality. To me, what has to go is the group rating, the community rating. Community rating's gone. That stuff's got to go. Community but rating's more emphasis gone, on sure. people's individual health. Stop forcing guys to pay for pap smears and, and all that. that. That stuff's got to go. Is yep. that going to go, do you think? It, it's going to go, and you're going to see the lifetime maximum. Uh, basically, the amount of someone can spend on one insurance plan per year, that's going to go away, too. Jake, this was really good. I mean, this was the best interview on this subject that I have seen or read in the last few weeks. So thanks for coming in tonight. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Again, nationalintegrativehealth.com is his website, John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. 
and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with our third and final hour here tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And, and feel free to let us know what you think about what we think. We do like to know, and sometimes we'll even respond. Actually, I try to respond as much as I can. It's just as uh, our, our platform grows, I can't respond to everybody. I used to say I'm going to respond to everybody. I, I just There's not enough time in the day anymore. But I will try to respond to as many of you as I possibly can, especially if you insult me. I, I tend to like that. Worldview Wednesday is coming up here in about 15 minutes, but first, let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Indeed, it is three questions when, well, it's not Aaron this week, but uh, this week it's Kim. Gets to turn the tables on us. She gets to ask the questions. And her questions so far this week are getting rave reviews from several of you. You like the questions, the the uh, introspective questions that uh, she is uh, causing us uh, to answer. So she gets to ask us anything she wants, any three questions on any three things. But, Kim, you have to answer the same questions, too. That's the only rule. That does limit the questions that I ask. <laughs> okay. I'll bet it does. It does. So one of us um, took to Twitter and did a hashtag sad face because so begins eight months while they wait for college football again. Hmm. Hmm. Wonder who that was. Wonder who that was. So, that if, person needs to grow up and get a life. <laughs> They're terrible. So, if you could only watch one type of sport, what would it be? It would be college football. Uh, it, it it would be the uh, because football is my favorite sport, and I love the NFL. But the uh, the the pageantry, the rivalry aspect of it. Uh, the fact that um, you have a mini playoff in college football every single week with the way the regular season is structured and um, uh, and and it's once a week too you know so it's just one day a week that uh, I get to do I get to indulge myself so the other six days out of the week I still get to be a responsible father husband uh, employee uh, you know and and do the, the volunteer work I do at our church so it's the it's it's perfect in that. The timing of it, only asking one day for me to in, uh, indulge my uh, leisure uh, gives me, it's like my own personal Sabbath in a way. And so I still get to do all the other things that are required of me as a mature, responsible 43-year-old father and husband. Uh, and, and it also, as a sport, the reason it's my favorite sport is because everything that meritocracy and masculinity is, is embodied in, in the nature of football, and that's why I love it so much. Well, I'm putting my job on the line by answering this, but because I'm a responsible uh, father and husband, that answer to this has changed over the years. I watch as many Packer games as I can. I absolutely. If you say soccer. <laughs> I'm not only going to say soccer, but I have a caveat to that. Women's soccer. I have four daughters. They play soccer. They love soccer. And they don't. Sit, they sit down and watch a Packer game with me, but they're not. You know, that's more about the spectacle. Uh, we watch women's soccer together, and it's 
fun. It's a lot of fun. And it's one of the most surprising things about my entire adult life, but I'm, I'm being real. That's awesome. Um, you know, I love watching uh, extreme sports, anything with uh, snowboarding and the racing that they do and the crashes. And I, I love that. But if I had to pick one, it would be um, it'd have to be basketball. You know, I used to play it. And now, you know, I've got nephews that are just incredible athletes. Um, Grant and Adam, a little shout out to you. I'd love to watch them play basketball. The other part about college football that I love is uh, my son, Noah, in the, in the past couple of years, and it's it's not because I directly tried to influence him. As you guys know, I I actually, if anything, I step back because I am concerned the my personality is so can dominate a room that that he'll do things just because it's what I do. But on his own, and now he is. I've never said sit down and watch this with me. He is now on his own, gotten into this. So, I mean, we've had tons of fun this year, just staying up late watching games, things of that nature. It's a blast, you know that. We, so, you know, I was going to do this anyway because I've loved it since I was a kid. But now getting to share this with him and, and there's a bonding element that goes on there, you know. And plus, if the games get to be blowouts, the kid will literally just tell me everything on his mind going on in his little nine-and-a-half-year-old life nonstop for two hours. He will talk more than he will the rest of the week combined. And I'm cherishing those moments because I know the time is soon coming. Uh, and will arrive when my opinion will not matter anymore, and he won't want to do those sorts of things. So I'm enjoying them now. All right. The next one is another, if only. So if only you could eat one type of dessert, what would it be? And I listen, I know this is going to be tough for you, Todd, since I know you like to chug vinegar, but we'll see if we can come up with something on this one. Uh, one kind of dessert. Um, I'm trying to think of a clever answer that would allow me to cheat that has multiple... Uh, you know, bases <laughs> to it. You know, at, like a like a like a box of truffles, so that there's a different flavor inside. You know, but if I could only eat one Reese's peanut butter cups, if you, if I could only eat one, if I could only eat one. First of all, I mean, you have the chocolate and peanut buttery goodness, right? And when I was a kid, when you, when remember those commercials, yes. Reese's they ran where they dipped the chocolate in the peanut butter. They did. I did that when I was a kid. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good, as a matter of fact. But uh, also, you know, uh, you got some good healthy fat in there with some peanut butter. So I could justify it in a lot of other healthy ways. But so if I could only pick one, as difficult of a choice as it would make. Well, see, I'm already con- reconsidering. Look at this guy right now. I'm already reconsidering. He's wrestling with this like he's wrestling with theology. <laughs> the other one could very well be the greatest. You know, with what I do for a living now, I've gotten to eat in, in restaurants all over the country. Some nice, some not so nice, some really nice. The best dessert I have ever had in my life at a restaurant, ever, is the homemade chocolate lava cake at Fleming's Steakhouse. It is sinfully good. And they bring it with the homemade vanilla wafers and the homemade whipped cream with it. It is it is to die for. So I'd have a tough call between one of those two things, Todd. I'd go with cheesecake. My wife loves cheesecake. Any kind of flavor of cheesecake, yeah. you're going to go with the whole I, thing. Ras, you know, raspberry, blueberry, lemon cheese, you know, it's it's fantastic. Not, I don't want chocolate cheesecake. I want some fruit aspect to it. Yeah, I see. I like cheesecake I, too. You know, I've never heard, tasted good though as a good peanut butter based cheesecake. It just seems like texturally, it's something they have a hard time. I don't like that. Don't take over my cheese. Co- <laughs> We're going with fruit. All right, I'm sorry. Okay, for me, it would be um, my grandmother Althea Ethel Mays apple pie she would use lard crust it was flaky delicious um 
and she's taught me how to do it, but I don't render my own lard. I know we're a homeschool family. I don't do that. But that's what I would go if with. If my kids were listening to this, they'd, be, they'd, be, they'd say to the old man, hey, hey, Pops, your favorite food is, is warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies. Why was that not the answer? Because it's a food. Uh, to me, that's a food. You asked me about a dessert. I did. All right, so there was a definition. On, on, on my non on my carb days, warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies are one of the accepted Ford food groups, right? So, to me, you know, that's a sandwich. Uh, that I mean, that's that's <laughs> not a dessert to me. That is a staple. I just wanted to clarify that. That's quite okay. a rabbit hole you live in there. <laughs> All right. The third question is, um, what is a legitimate or funny criticism of the place that you worship? Oh boy. Um, well, if I had any legit criticisms, I don't know that, I mean, nothing's perfect. If I had legit right. criticisms, we probably would have addressed them by now because we've gone there for nine years. Um, I guess maybe a, can uh, um, I think of a funny one? Todd, I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to see if I can come up with one that is funny and funny haha, not funny offensive. I say it all the time. Ex- excommunications will continue until morale improves. <laughs> and Steve and I have had this conversation for years. What's the point of ha- being Catholic and having this structure in place where it's not, you know, this is my Bible church, and if I just don't like it, I'm going to go to the one down the road? No. Why do you not use it? Yeah. Um, you want me to go ahead? Yeah, you go ahead. Okay. Um so I'm a Christian that worships at a Reformed theology Presbyterian church. And so the Babylon Bee is just having some hysterical things to say. It's, it, it's a must read every day. Oh, it me. is. I yeah. mean, like, listen to this. Reformed church unintentionally pulls off the perfect mannequin challenge. Um, motion activated lights turn off during the Presbyterian worship. <laughs> or the Presbyterian Church of America launches new line of frozen dinners called Frozen Choices. Hysterical. That's good stuff. I, I would say for us that we um, we so try to avoid confrontations over music and things of that nature that we might even at times be intentionally bland in a way, which is kind of funny. <laughs> that would be funny. mine. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not concerned about what you think, but why you think it. Steve Dace. I personally believe... Elitism. Marxism. Atheist. Government intervention. Secular humanist. Liberals and conservatives. Materialism. Nihilism. U.S. Americans. Christian. Globalist. Socialist. Democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand life as it hits us in the face? Libertarian. Tea Partier. The free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. And this is Worldview Wednesday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. This is your college philosophy class on the air. And this is the time uh, each week when uh, even beyond what we normally do, which is probably deeper than most shows are willing to go because they like to have listeners so they don't go this deep and the risk that it would bore people. But we don't mind boring you. 
or something. So we will go that deep anyway. Uh, but uh, we will go even deeper during this particular uh, time of the evening because the good news is if you're still listening to us this late, it's either because you can't sleep or you can't shut your brain down. Either way, you're going to come away satisfied because the minute we start pondering the lint in our navel, either it's nighty night for you or you're like, hey, I'm engaged. I'm charged up. I think that's probably why this segment is so popular, not necessarily because of us, but because um, it, it touches everybody. So, so this week, particularly the, the night after or the night following an epic Donald Trump press conference, which I so enjoyed retweeting um, the hot takes uh, on, uh, on Twitter earlier today when he, when he said to Jim Acosta at CNN to their face, well, you're fake news. <laughs> yeah, there will be some high points, won't there? Oh, gosh. I just, they're going to have to, if, if, if the Trump team doesn't charge admission to these presidential press conferences the next four years, I don't want to live in this world anymore, and I won't believe he's a capitalist after all. This is admission-worthy stuff. I mean, we called BuzzFeed a flailing pile of garbage. Yes, more. You want more. You need more. You want more of it. And when you see it and you like it, you just want more. Yes, I want more of that. That I want more of. All the stuff I said in the second hour about don't pick a fight with a bunch of spooks who can live in the shadows and annihilate you, I absolutely meant that. That's a dumb, dumb strategy. Destroying pretend journalists. Good strategy. More. Can't get enough. More. All right. Steve, when should he destroy pretend journalists? Yes. Yes, that's that's when he he should be doing these press conferences at least once a week. Can't you just see him like standing in the back and watching it himself? Yes. I mean, he looks at these guys the way he looked at Rand Paul in that one debate. Crap, I'm getting my rear end kicked, man. I got somebody. He's not even supposed to be here tonight. What's he doing there? Right? I mean, just he looks at those guys the way that, a, you know, the way that a dog looks at a, at, a, at a cat. All right? It's meat. Right? And it's entertaining. It's brutal, man. It's brutal. But it is entertaining. No doubt. You know he's going to, Spicer's going to be doing a press conference in this first year, and unexpectedly, Trump's going to be one. Is Spicer in there? He's just going to walk in unexpectedly. Walk in and take over? Let me, I got this one. I'm bored. All right, so this is a good segue to what we're going to be talking about this week on Worldview Wednesday. Because fake news is all the rage. There is a science called epistemology. And epistemology is essentially the study of knowledge, or it, it seeks to answer the question, how do we know what we know or think we know is true? How do we know? So this week on Worldview Wednesday, we're going we're gonna to do a little epistemological study. And it's titled, Five Steps to Save You from Fake News. Five Steps to Save You from Fake News. You guys ready? Ready. So you guys are going to be my, my class as we go along here, right? So each step, I'll lay it out, then you guys can ask questions and... And then we'll finish it now, up. Is this sober or funny? Or no, no. This is this is to be serious. Or both. Yeah. Well, it, it can <laughs> yes. be, given the fact that the subject matter is fake news. It can be funny, yes. Uh, but uh, the the sol- that we're looking for a, a sober antidote here. How to insulate ourselves from this? Okay? Got it. All right. So let's begin. And, and and I put these five steps in order. They're in a certain order. Follow these five steps like a scientific method. Okay. Number one. You have to begin with the right standard because all of us will immediately filter information through whatever this standard in our own minds is. We all have a standard, an ultimate standard. We all have one. And the only question, therefore, becomes if it is the right one. 
And, and, and there is a difference between having a standard and confirmation bias. I'll illustrate that here in just a moment. But first, let me point out standard. What do I mean by a standard? When a theological circle, you might hear it referred to as a plumb line. But outside of those circles, if you don't, you know, don't hang out in those areas, you don't know what I mean by that. That's why we're going to go with the word standard. So what is my immediate filter when I receive information? For me, full disclosure, I'm an evangelical. My standard is sola scriptura. Notice I did not say solo. I said sola, meaning that scripture alone, God's word to me alone is the ultimate authority for truth and knowledge. Notice, though, I said the word ultimate authority. I did not say the word only because that would be solo. Can I figure out how to do open heart surgery by reading the Bible? Can I figure that out, Todd and Kim? No. 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 Can, I, can I figure out what Newton's laws of physics or where Einstein got the theory of relativity from, from reading the 66 books of the Bible? Will that reveal that to me? No. 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 All right, so um, can I figure out, um, uh, you know, um, complex algebra and trig- trigonometry from reading the scriptures? Is that going to be revealed to me? No. 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 So there are, are there other sources of knowledge out there other than my ultimate source? You bet there are. But, there, but something the way I've described it in the past is if you took, if, if knowledge was a table, and not a round table, but a regular table, you know, every, there's various, various studies and pursuits that would have a seat at this table. Biology would have a seat. Uh, philosophy would have a seat. Right, various pursuits and studies and sciences and and reasonings and rationales and philosophies would have a seat at this table, but something has to sit at the head of the table. Who sits at the head of the table in any such arrangement? The boss. The boss sits at the head of the table, right? So something has to sit at the head of the table. All the other seats at the table are important, but something at the head of the table there must clarify what all the rest of these seats actually mean. So it is not the only authority, but it is the ultimate one. As long as information is presented to me that doesn't violate that authority, I am willing to receive it, even if that authority is silent on this particular piece of information and knowledge. I will reject, however, anything that immediately seeks to contradict or undermine that authority. And we all will that's why it's important to have the right ultimate authority in there, because we will all do this. That's why you want to make sure that you have the right ultimate authority in there. Now, how do we avoid confirmation bias if that's the way that we think? Critical thinking or skepticism or scrutiny is not the same as undermining. For example, when you present to me evidence of a scandal in the church which is one of the chief agents of my, of, of, my, of my filter, my standard. I don't immediately dismiss the scandal because it might undermine my standard, but I note that in order to fulfill my standard, I have to hold my own side accountable to the same standard that I do others. We'll have more on this here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Right versus wrong, not right versus left. This is Steve Dace. 
All right, back here on Worldview Wednesday, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So five steps to saving you from fake news. Number one, we have to have the right standard that is our ultimate standard that we are interpreting information and knowledge through. We will all have an ultimate standard. It's unavoidable. We're human. None of us is God or a God. So we are incapable of transcendent objectivity. That's just the nature of our species. We are going to look at things subjectively even when we try not to. So instead of denying our nature, it is best to accept it and put the right uh, safeguards in place, acknowledging who we are as a species. Maybe now. So for me, if my ultimate standard is going to be belief that God's word is the ultimate, not only, but ultimate authority on matters of truth and knowledge, that means I have to put safeguards in place when information that would be skeptical of such a position or would seek to scrutinize, scrutinize such a position comes along. I have to be willing to accept that information objectively, not because it will undermine my, my, my standard, but because I will undermine my own standard if I don't. People will, reject this, people will reject my standard if they see me not willing to apply my own subjective standard objectively. Does that make sense so far? Completely. Yes. So, for example, let me put this in a context. Let's say science. You may view science as your ultimate narrative, your ultimate filter. Okay. Understand that when, when people bring competing scientific theories like intelligent design to a college campus and you say, we're going to get rid of those people because they won't support my particular narrative, you're not defending your narrative. You're undermining it. This happens in global warming all the time as well. We've done this in the church. Yes. Shouldn't have been the Boston Globe that re- informed everybody about Catholic priests abusing people. Should have been the Catholic Church. And, and we shouldn't need 60 minutes to tell us that uh, some, some you know, a Protestant uh, televangelist are ripping old ladies off of their retirements. That should be coming from our own watchdogs within our watchmen on the wall within our own movements. And when it doesn't come from within our own sources, what do people from the outside think of our standard when that happens? Um, we either don't have one or, or we they, have one and we really don't care yep. about it. They, we, we, we in, by, by not accepting any scrutiny or skeptical information about our own standard, we are not defending our standard. We're helping those who seek to undermine it to do so. Does that make sense? Yes. So this is the difference between having the right standard and, and just accepting that's how we operate and applying it and applying it justly or having confirmation bias. Thoughts on that before we move on? Well, I liked how you painted the picture of um, truth. The idea that there's ultimate truth and there's other truths and then the seat at the table. Who do you think is most likely, you know, we'll put God at the head of the table, right? We'll put the scripture, the word of God. Who Who is the most likely person at the head of the table for, let's say, a liberal progressive? You want the truth? I do. Themselves. Yeah. They, they would put themselves there. Mm-hmm. They would put themselves there because they would view that... Um, they within themselves have the ability to determine when it's proper. They will now. They will not say this. No, but by their fruit you will know them. Correct. Right. So you may claim you have another objective standard somewhere, or your your idea of an objective standard somewhere. But how you will apply it will ultimately tell me what your standard is. And I would say the same thing about somebody who claims they have a theistic standard or a biblical standard. Or if you're a Catholic, you're going to probably say, uh, like in, in Todd's case, you would put the church. And and at the head of and its and, and its stature would, would I be correct in that Todd that would sit at the head of the table where you're concerned, okay? Scripture, tradition, and the magisterium, the yeah, three-legged stool, and, and that's just hard for me to say in three seconds. So I just said the church, but yes, that. Um, if I don't carry forth 
that standard consistently, what will people, same question, what will people say my standard is? You know, so to me, I, I can, there, there are plenty of people who don't agree with my standard that have objective good standards that they live out. I, there's plenty of scientists out there who are materialists but are willing to accept scrutiny and skeptical thought and, and, and debate it honestly and critically, even if they don't agree, then they really do believe that. They might be wrong, but at least they're intellectually honest. Does that right. make sense? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, how you live out whatever you claim your standard is is what your standard really is, not what you claim it is. That's what I'm trying to say. All right, step number two, Todd, to being saved from fake news. Step two is, is the information you are now receiving... Is it testable or confirmable on your own? Meaning, if I read in the liberal New York Times that uh, the jobless rate has declined by 2.4% this month, can I go to the Bureau of Labor Management and Statistics? Can I go look that? Can I verify that on my own? Is that confirmable or testable on my own, this information? Is it something that I have the means within me to go and confirm and test its its solvency, its credibility. Can I do that, Todd, on my own? That's step number two. And yes, that's an action step, but you know, this is a self-governing experiment, right? Which requires some movement of the self. So it requires you not to just sit there with your mouth open and be a receiver. Um, You're going to have to be a doer and you're going to have to do some of your own homework. More on that in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Check us out online at stevedace.com, where you get show archives and opinions each day. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on Worldview Wednesday here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Five steps to save you from fake news. Little epistemological study here tonight on the Steve Dace Show. Uh, we've begun with step number one. You've got to have the right standard. All of us will put a standard where we will ultimately... Uh, discern and receive and verify and validate information from the get-go. That's why it's important to have the right standard in there. Number two is the information I'm receiving. Is it, is it testable, confirmable on my own? Rather than just sitting there as a mind-numbed receiver of information, uh, as if I'm, I'm an object of inculcation, not a human being made in the image of God with cognitive reasoning ability, can I actually confirm, test, you know, can I do that, inf- can I do that on the information as it sits. And today you have more of an opportunity to do that than ever before with all the technology and the means and, and, and opportunities available to us, which then brings me to point number three. Sometimes, though, the information isn't testable, isn't confirmable on our own. You know, we, we don't, most of us, 99% of us don't have access to intelligence community sources to verify the story that came out about Trump and Russia last night. And so you have to ask yourself when a guy like Jake Tapper comes forth with such information, has he proven to be credible in the past? Has the source, if the information isn't testable or confirmable on our own, has the source of that information, who claims to have acquired it, have they proven to be credible beforehand? That is some, but that also requires homework on your part. You got to know who these people are. You got to know what their records are in the past. It's don't you can't just be you can't just be a simpleton. All media is liars. Well, it's not. It's not true. Many are, but not all are. Well, I don't believe any of them. I, yeah, I can't. Say, I hear this when people tell me, well, I, don't, I had a bad experience at church when I was 14, so I've never been back. Okay, I, I'm sorry you had a bad experience. Have you ever had a bad relationship with a member of the opposite sex? Really? 
Why didn't you swear those off? Why didn't you say at that point, boy, I'm vow of celibacy from this time forward. I had a bad relationship with a member of the opposite sex, so they're all bad. Well, because you have certain wants, needs, and desires that you decided were worthy of being met more than they were worthy of being written off. Well, you know what? Part of being a citizen in a free republic is you have is we have some wants, needs, and desires of you. And that is to take your role as a citizen of this republic seriously. And those wants, needs, and desires need to outweigh your whiny lament. So do your own homework. Know who some of these entities are, these institutions are. Know when they've been credible. And it's not as the same as everybody at the New York Times is a liar. There's some people that call me from some mainstream media outlets. I won't talk to them. And there are some people from some mainstream media outlets, when they call me, they will. Why? Because I view each situation individually based on my relationship with them, not the institution or entity that they work for. Thoughts on that, Todd and Kim? This one's tricky because we so like either, at the very least, having our ears tickled, and otherwise just don't care if we're being lied to, if uh, the lie is what we believe on a regular basis. Uh, and, and the rhetoric out there now that people are launching gives truth to that it's it's a means to the end to them they are willing to break whoever needs to be broken and that's why the the press as you said before the press is starting to go in that direction which makes it all the more important but i think harder steve to do what you're asking because if there's i if there's so little truth out there to be had solid legitimate reporting it's ultimately, it gets lost in this shuffle all the time, Steve. And, of course, every source is fallible, but we're not saying, like, perf- perfection, just credible. So, But it is a difficult task to find out who you can trust. Self-government is difficult. Exactly. It's a difficult task to rebel against a king. It's a difficult task to run for office. Why do you all want this to be easy? Get off your ass! It's only the future of civilization and your kids' inheritance at stake. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's hard. There's a reason why we're 240 years into this and we're the longest standing experiment in human freedom in 6,000 years. It's hard. Anything worthy of having in life is hard. Everything is. It's not going to be easy, guys. So, yeah. Do your own homework. Right. That's exactly right. It is hard. You know what's harder? Watching the Visigoths come over the wall. That's harder. Becoming Greece, harder, harder. Being Greece, harder, harder. When the sulfur falls from the sky because of your decadence, that's hard. (laughs) That's like pillar of salt, hard, hard. Everything in life worthy of having is hard. And you know what's even harder? The consequences for not doing those hard things, even harder. Can I get an amen on that? You got it. Thank you. So yeah, it's all hard. But that's, that's why it's worthy of having. Step four. I didn't mean to say, I recognize that Kim understands that it's hard. Yeah, I'm over the, here going, what the heck, man? That wasn't directed at you. <laughs> Good. That was directed at the people that, that, I want, that, that are listening. That are not, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I don't think I can do it. Yeah, you can, and you must. <laughs> yeah, you can, and you must. Step four. Are there other sources confirming or running parallel to the information from the original source? So this morning, NBC News came out with a report that says the stuff that CNN is claiming Trump was briefed on last Friday, our intelligence community sources are saying he was not briefed on those things. He was not briefed on members of his own campaign, colluded with Russia, those sorts of things. So the report NBC put out today 
and the reports CNN put out with Jay Tapper are not controvertible. They're incontrovertible. They, they cannot both be true. So somebody's sources are misleading them or, are, or are, have lied to them. They're just not controvertible. But again, how many of you even knew there was another story about this? You've got to stay informed. That's just the reality of it. And, and, and people like that do what I do for a living, that's part of our job is to make it easier for you because we get paid to do this at a level that you don't. And, and you have other jobs. And that's why we need to do our jobs in my line of work as well. Thoughts on that? Well, I, I, it, it's a bit of a segue from what I uh, said before. The, the challenge of you, you need to have a go-to list of five sources at the least uh, that aren't are on opposite sides of the perceived political spectrum uh, that are uh, punditry, straight news, things like that. So you are ready to do what you're talking about instantly on anything of any import before you go popping off on social media. And I think that's a very good point, that you don't stay in your own echo chamber, but that you actually follow other people that don't believe what you believe. So you can hear, you can see what everyone is talking about. Um, but you also go to original sources. Exactly. But yeah, steps are in action, guys. Means you have to take them. These aren't going to happen on their own. We have one step left. We'll get to it here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Application for your foundation. This is Steve Dace. All right, back one final time here on the Steve Dace Show tonight, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Let's finish up five steps to saving you from fake news here on this Worldview Wednesday. Number one, begin with the right standard that you're going to interpret the information from. Number two, Is the information testable or confirmable on your own? Then do so. Number three, if it is not on your own, does the source of the information who claims to have acquired it, proven have they proven to be credible beforehand? Number four, are there other sources confirming or running parallel information to the original source? And this brings us now to number five. Self-assessment before rendering your own verdict on the information is vital to avoid intellectual dishonesty. For example, what do I mean by that? If all the information was the same, but the circumstances were reversed, would you still have the same opinion that you do now? Would you still have the same opinion that you do now? Or would you be like polls show that for many years, Republicans were pro-intelligence community because they were helping us save the Republic, and now they think the CIA is out to get Trump, so they hate it. And Democrats, who thought the CIA was an instrument of our global imperialism, is, is, now, uh, is now their mosaic deliverer because it's, it believes that, uh, Trump, uh, that is, Trump is essentially a Putin stooge. What changed? Does anybody know if the CIA has new operatives than it had 10 or 20 years ago? Are there new people in charge? We don't know that. Only thing that's changed is the information it's giving us, whether or not it affirms our vantage point or not. That's the only thing that's changed, is our own vantage point. Nothing else has really changed, just our own perspective on it. Like the poll numbers we've seen of how Democrats and Republicans, their feelings on Russia have changed in the last year. Why has that changed? Vladimir, Vladimir Putin 
I mean, did he, did he answer an altar call at, at, at some awake, reawakening, uh, you know, spiritual conference, get born again, right? Did he sit down with the Pope? Actually, I'm not sure sitting down with this Pope would probably help him, frankly. Uh, so maybe, you know, in a, somebody else. Uh, maybe he sit down with some other credible spiritual figure, have an awakening. He's like, you know, I've sinned against you. Has he done that? Or is he still the, 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 the bare-chested bear out there riding bulls? Which is it? Well, then, then the only thing that's changed, therefore, is what, guys? Whether or not the information we're getting is what we want to hear. See, if that's you, you are not a person of truth. You're a person of propaganda. That's the difference between propaganda and truth, Todd and Kim. It's if the situation and the circumstances were reversed, would I, would I still accept it the way that I do now? And am I asserting something on one end that if it was reversed would discredit my own assertion? That's the difference between whether I'm, I'm a person of truth or if I'm a sucker. Right. Daniel Horowitz calls it um, binary idolatry, you know, with the political party and the binary choice. And uh, it's the idolatry that you're talking about that you lack credibility. Hey, we all have feet of clay. I know how hard I have to do. You know, I want to go and follow that breadcrumb trail. So do I. But you so got to fight. I. You got to fight. I, I, so do I. I literally have to force myself to consider the other 180 so I don't become like this. But again, that's what self-government is. It begins with the self. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. <laughs> 